Welcome to episode 61. Today, international educator Megan Dreyer joins us to talk about wordless picture books. Welcome to the Empowering Elves podcast. I'm Tan Nguyen, and the goal of this podcast is to serve language learners just like me and to empower passionate teachers just like you. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has four language learners. Pictures are worth a thousand words. I remember working with a small group of eighth graders one year. They were learning about social media in their social studies class. We watched a short video about the brain on social media, but they seemed perplexed. Then I drew a simple picture of the brain. I added tiny firework symbols above the brain to represent the release of dopamine. With this simple sketch, students now understood a very abstract concept. This is the power and the magic of pictures. In this episode, Megan Dreyer will talk about how she is intentionally using wordless picture books to foster engagement and language development. Though her examples come from an elementary school context, the principles are absolutely applicable to secondary schools as well. Now, on to today's podcast. It's my special honor to introduce colleague, fellow international teacher, Megan Dreyer, all the way from Frankfurt International School. Guten Morgen, and hope you're doing well. I think that's good morning, right? How do you say good afternoon? Uh, guten Tag. Guten Tag, okay, well, there you go. Um, trying to make you feel welcomed. Um, Megan, would you introduce yourself and give us a little more about your context? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much, Tan. Um, I really, really appreciate you're such an advocate for English language learners and for English language teachers, and you're so generous with your time. Um, anytime I've had a question, you've offered to help me out. So I really do appreciate that. Um, so yes, yeah, so my name's Megan Dreyer. I've been teaching long enough that I actually cannot remember how long. <laughs> um, and um, right now I have the pleasure of teaching while well, I'm the ELA teacher for grades four, five, and two and three at the Frankfurt International School Wiesbaden campus. You're here as an expert. Uh, you, I love having elementary school teachers on because I was only uh, I worked in elementary school only for two years, and whenever I have elementary school teachers on, I appreciate it because I know how hard uh, they work, and it's a different it's a different field than the secondary. And I don't have enough experience with uh, elementary school, so I love having teachers on who can share what do they do, how they do it, and you're going to share about two things. You're going to share about uh, wordless picture books and multilingual math, so that other teachers can uh, hear this and say, "Oh, I might be able to apply these principles into my context." So thank you first for your generosity, Megan. Well, you know, um, this is not purely altruistic. I am um, a learning or a teaching nerd and I would love 
anyone who is currently implementing multilingual, multicultural programming at their school, or who is also utilizing wordless picture books in different ways than the ones that I'm going to mention, feel free to contact me. Um, because I would love, love to hear and to learn from your experiences. I truly believe that as international educators, we need to model lifelong learning. Yes, we do. And so pretty much everything I do is a collaborative, I take a collaborative approach because I normally view activities from a language lens and from an English language, language learner lens. Right. And what do they need to be successful? What do they need to share their understanding with the class? Um, and so sometimes it's just a really great thing to collaborate with someone else who has a different lens right. and then um, use those two or three different lenses to build the most effective programming for your schools. Right, that's about, that's the gift of collaboration. We'll get your Twitter handle at the end so that people can uh, connect with you and say, oh, hey, Megan, I heard your podcast. This is what I'm gonna, this is what I've done. So yeah. Well, so I'm not on Twitter. I am on no social media whatsoever. <laughs> we'll find a way to contact you, but it'd be great for you to, we'll find a way to contact you and with, with okay. listeners to contact you. Can you talk to us about, about um, Wordless picture books? So let's say about sure. why. Okay, so um, maybe two or three years ago, I was really looking at bilingual books. Mm. And I went through that rabbit hole. I was spending hours of my free time looking for the best bilingual books out there or websites that have bilingual books. And Honestly, there just aren't that many resources yeah. out there. Right. Many of them are geared towards American schools. Mm -hmm. So many of them are Spanish and yeah. English. Yeah. But honestly, at FIS, or at least at the VSPON on campus, we don't have that many students who are speaking Spanish as a home language. Our dominant languages are Korean, mm. German, Russian, and English. So although um, I do have to give a plug for my latest favorite series of bilingual picture books. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but they're called I See the Sun. Oh no. And um, so there's I See the Sun in Russia, I See the Sun in China, oh, I See the Sun in Turkey. Um, I've only been able to track down about six different countries. They also have an I See the Sun in the USA which I think is nice as well, even though it's also, it's actually a monolingual picture book. It, you know, it's nice because it puts everybody kind of on the same uh, playing field and they all sh share the same format. They're absolutely beautiful illustrations and they look at aspects of culture. So they look at family, they look at sport, they look at school mm. and it's, from the perspective of a child who is living in this particular country and it is written in their home language and English as well. That's beautiful. So I would say those are my favorite bilingual books that I found at the moment. But as it relates to, so, okay. So additionally, what we did to try to find bilingual books. So we had a buyback program at the library. So we mm -hmm. said, you know, many, of our international students were traveling during breaks. And so they would buy unit specific books or, um, or general reading books in their home languages. Mm -hmm. And so we said, hey, if you want, we will buy those books back from you at the end of the school year, because it's really hard. I mean, I, 
I have totally ordered the wrong book in Korean before, you know, like spent hours saying, okay, no, this is, this is this book. Sure. Yeah. And then you get it and you realize, oh no, that's the wrong book. So we thought, well, let's incorporate parents. So that was semi-successful, but we didn't get as many books as we wanted. We also have tried, we have a multilingual planner, you know, that has um, the vocabulary and the units of inquiry. And at the bottom for each language, they're all on one document. We have the opportunity for parents to share websites or book names mm-hmm. of books that are in their home language that are um, related to the units of inquiry. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, that that also hasn't been, we haven't gotten as many resources as, as we would have liked. So um, I am confident, though, in the next couple of years that, you know, bilingual books more and more will be appearing mm, every yeah. year because yeah. I think everyone has identified how important they are. Yes. But so the beauty of wordless books is that they're not bilingual. They're not monolingual. They are truly multilingual books. Yes. And, you know, I still remember the first time someone gave me a wordless book I had my, my three, they were, it was a present for one of my three kids. And at that point I was too tired to, you know, imagine what the story was. And I was kind of frustrated. I was like, why are there no words on these pages? I just want to read the words so my kids can go to sleep. I don't want to have to be engaged in actually telling the story. Right. But I have this incredible coworker. Her name is Renska Ort. And she actually wrote her thesis on wordless books. And she was the one who introduced me to them. And pretty much just the beauty and relevance of them in as it relates to teaching. So um, the thing is too, is that we also, so I did mention that I don't work in the middle school anymore we have students using these wordless books Mm. from kindergarten to eighth grade at our school. Um, And we have, there's no stigma attached to them. Everyone uses them, you know, and everyone in one class can use the same book, but they can take it to a different level. So uh, to me, it's really universal design at its best. So um, I can speak to some ways that we use them in the homeroom, or I can speak to some ways that we use them in the whole school. Oh, let's do both. That would be great. Yeah, I would love examples. Okay. So um, let's start then with in the in the homeroom. Yeah. Okay. So you can definitely use them to teach reading strategies to look at literary devices or to look at, um, you know, theme or symbolism Mm -hmm. and, you know, all kids are on the same level, but let me back up for a second. So it's really, really important. And this is where that lens comes in. I like to, you know, scaffold things right off the bat, the sentence structure or sentence frames, but with wordless books, you have to just let go. Yeah. Yeah. So the first exposure that children have to these books should really just kind of be exploration Mm -hmm. and conversation. Mm -hmm. And 
another wonderful thing about these books is that every single time I read them with a student, yes, they teach me something. They point out something new. Mm -hmm. And they're always so proud when they are able to teach their teacher something. Right. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, Mrs. Jerry, do you see that sea monster? He's actually hiding in every single page. He's watching what those kids are doing. Oh, wow. Or, you know, Mrs. Jerry, do you notice that the color, the colors change on each page? Mm. Why, why would the color colors change does that have something to do with the story right. um so it's really incredible to have them be in that teaching position right. and then also um so like i said so to start they explore yeah and then what i normally do is i would if i know that a wordless book is going to be used in a classroom activity yeah and, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm not too pushy, but, you know, I have actually been able to get most homeroom teachers to incorporate a wordless book oh, in so cool. a unit of inquiry. And so what I do is I take the English language learners and I let them. Um, are you familiar with VoiceThread? Uh, it's an app, right? It's a yeah, so it, it's it's gives kids an opportunity to record their thinking. So you can use Seesaw for this as well. Yeah, but the, the difference with VoiceThread is that they can record multiple recordings for one page or for one story. Okay. And the, the beauty of that is that they can actually record themselves telling the story in their home language. And, and then sometimes what I'll do is I take Google Translate, yeah. and I can put the Google Translate app up to the voice thread, and I can understand what they're saying. Oh, that's so cool. And then I can create sentence frames or, you know, look at what they're really focusing on in the story. And then through added support, we can start to retell the story wow. in English. What a great And tool. so, you know, voice thread has if you're speaking Korean and English, you can put the Korean and English on the same page. Right. And, you know, it just shows that they're both valued equally, right. oh, you so know, That's a great and that they're both, they're both combining to tell right. the story from your perspective. So, like I said, I mean, that's kind of, you know, I would look at using these to teach reading strategies or to teach um, literary devices. Yeah, so, you know, instead of having kids have to tackle reading a text to teach them about making predictions, right. you know, they can all use this wordless book to make right. predictions. Because the images are text itself. Right. Yeah, and so these, the quality of these books. So Renska and I, we have gone through and we've also spent hours finding the best wordless books that we can. And I mean, they are so compelling. Right. I, I mean, honestly, some of them have made me cry. Yeah, there's an incredible book called Brick by Brick. Mm. Yeah, that is very sh short. And it, it actually, of the wordless picture books, the um, pictures are a little bit um, younger than yeah. some some of the other ones, but the message is so incredible. There are these animals, and they're separated by a wall, mm. and they don't know that other 
the animals are on the other side of the wall. Right. And they start taking the bricks down oh. that divide them and they end up using the bricks to build a bridge. Oh, that's so great. To connect them. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so it's about using those barriers, using those differences or those walls that right. separate us as an opportunity to connect us to other people, you know? So the messages behind these books are so incredible. And then, you know, also if you're, you know, to speak about universal design again, we're working on causation in, um, in a fifth grade class. And, you know, some of the students are ready for if then statements. Mm -hmm. Some of them are ready for just basic cause and effect. Right. And other students are just ready for the effect, you know? So I, I believe in giving different levels um, sentence frames, you know, and having the kids pick which sentence frames they want to use in order to express the causality of what's going on in a wordless, in a wordless book. Right. Who would you yeah? give the books to? Sorry? Who would you give the wordless books to? Like the well, audience? Um, sorry, so do you mean, I, I mean, I, I use them. Sometimes I, I find it's good to have four to five hard copies and then uh -huh. students look at them in groups. Okay. Or because, you know, we're on the DLP, um, the distance learning plan, um, they're super easy to use um, online. Um, to share online and to have breakout groups looking at um, looking at the different the different stories oh, together. So it's like a guided um, reading. If you have a small group, it can be guided reading. Do you give it just to beginners or do you give it to kids who are intermediate? Like, how does this work? No, well, so that's what what I think is so incredible about them is yep. that all the kids, if you market it, you know, it, that it's not this babyish, right. wordless. Right story um that it's truly is this deep and rich story everyone everyone can benefit from it so like i said you can go as deep as you want you can look at cause and effect you can also look at reading strategies um if you want you could have some kids recording the story if, if you say for example okay we're going to um figure out an ending to this story right. or an alternate ending. Some kids could be recording the, the ending in their home language. Some kids could be doing it with simple sentence frames and some kids could be writing pages in English or their home language, you know? So it's, it's beautiful. You have, they can take it as far as they want or you, right. you, you want them to. Right. Um, and they have student agency in which direction they're going. And they're such high interest books that, like I said, I mean, the kids are so enthusiastic about reading them and um, any particular learning activities that so would, we plan. How would you integrate it in a unit? So can you give an example of a, of a book that you use within a unit? Oops, sorry. Ooh. Well, that's a great question because that is totally where I wanted to go next. So, um, First of all, so I, I believe in using graphic organizers to help, you know, with visual redundancy, you know, that throughout a unit. Yeah. So, for example, we use this beautiful book called Changes Changes. Mm. And it was it's actually 
I don't know the technical term, but you know they have these little wooden figures or little wooden blocks that you can use to build uh, houses and people. It's like a child's toy. Yeah. And so the book is basically about um, two toys who uh, they build a house out of these blocks and then the house burns down. And then they have to build the house and they have to build it and they change it into a fire truck. And then they somehow have to turn it into a, a boat. Anyways, so we looked at that. So you will not believe which unit we connected this to. So we actually connected this to the puberty unit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because the theme is change, change. you know, That's and in, P in the PYP, that, that's a huge underlying theme that we teach. And so we had a graphic organizer and it said, okay, so what are the changes that happen in this book? And then is it positive or negative? Explain. Right. So they went through, but first, like I said, we had them in small groups reading the book. And as always, they were pointing out things to me that I never noticed before because children are so incredibly observant. Yes, they are. And then they filled out this graphic organizer for the next lesson, right. identifying the changes that occurred in the book. And then this carried over to the puberty unit. Then they had to go home and use the same graphic organizer and explain changes happening in their lives mm. or with their bodies. Right, right. You know, because many of them were moving to like um, fifth grade is the last year for the PYP. Right. So students go to middle school after that. And so it was really interesting to have them speak honestly. It also kind of allowed us to figure out what they were interested in learning more right. about and what was really actually meaningful and relevant to them at that time. Right. So when yeah. you're using the wordless books, are you, uh, so you said one, one approach was to have a small group instruction. Another approach, it seems like, it seemed like you were teaching that book, Change change by Changes, I think you call it. What is changes, it? Changes, Changes. Uh, changes, Changes, yes. And it was that was a whole class book, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, I would really encourage most of them to be um, whole class books because, mm. uh, you know, we really want there not to be a stigma attached to different leveled texts, right. you know, and, and that's why I'm such a proponent for universal design, because when I started teaching, well, first it was, oh my gosh, how do I make these lessons like innovative and, and meaningful for the kids? Then it was like, oh my gosh, how do I reach their different needs, right. you know? And then it was like, oh wait, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm totally, the kids are totally aware of what different level texts or tasks they're required to, how do I make my learning environment such that everybody feels like they're on an equal right. Right. playing field and that they have agency. Right. Equal um, access. Yeah. So I have two other examples too. There's another beautiful, so you can use it for a pre-assessment, mm. you know, because as an ELL teacher, you want the teacher to help the homeroom teacher to figure out what the kids know already, Exactly. you know, to inform the direction that they're going. And it's just um, oftentimes when they're given a pre-assessment, 
they can't even really understand the question, especially if they're a beginner and there's there's are no ways for them to figure out right. what the question is being asked. So, you know, I really try to view all pre-assessments through the lens of, okay, how is how are we going mm. to get an accurate authentic view of where the kid is, where the student is. And so we did one little bag for our um, sharing the planet unit. And that was basically looking at some of the, it's, it's also another beautiful wordless book that made me cry because it's about a, a boy whose dad gives him a paper bag and he yeah. keeps it his whole life. Aww. And then he gives it to his son. Um, but we basically had them look through these images and identify examples of reusing and recycling with another graphic organizer, right. you know? Right. So it, it was a very easy way to just tell, okay, do they know what these terms are? And um, yeah, and, and then, then we could figure out kind of what direction the unit was going nice. from. So it's from there. Pre-assessment. Give me a pre Yeah, and then you can give it to them. Yeah, you can give it to them at the end too and see how far, far they've come, you know? Because it's so, really about the ideas of how they're using the pictures, how they're interacting with it. It's It seems like picture, like the way you're describing it is that wordless picture books lends itself to kids creating, communicating their ideas and constructing understanding. It, it, the fact that it doesn't have words doesn't mean they're not constructing. It means they're actually even invited even more to construct with the pictures. Yeah, no, that's, it. that's exactly right. Um, there are just so many opportunities um, afforded by the, by these by these books, right. um, and then so also to speak kind of to the um, distance learning needs of many uh, many at the moment. Um, <laughs> there are two things that I'd like to say about that. One is is there's another wordless book, and this is the last wordless book that, that I, I will mention, but if you want any, if you would like a list of all of the books that Renska and I have come up with, um, then please feel free to contact me. I'm happy to send that your way. And there are also, on that list, we also have wordless videos. Oh, cool. Yeah, and wordless videos are also a really, really fun way to have students engage in discussions, um, ask questions. But so this book that I want to mention is called Here I Am. And it is about a Korean boy who moves to New York. And he um, kind of just stays in his apartment. He doesn't want to leave. Mm -hmm. And then he drops a ball out, out his window and a girl picks up the ball and he decides he's going to follow her through the community and kind of start interacting with people. And so we use that as kind of like wordless conversation, like well, we did a wordless conversation, you know, where you put the pictures up around the classroom yeah. and we had kids put stickies up on each picture. Like what role do you think this person uh, okay. might've played in the boys right. um, acclimation to um to the new city and so you can also do that on Jamboard with mm. with stickies mm, yes. you know you can put the pictures up and you can have kids put 
stickies everywhere. And um, so these pictures, like I said, not to say universal design again, but you can use the pictures from the books as well to do all kinds of sorting activities. Mm, so yes, you could use yes. the pictures to um, say, okay, well, pick the pick the most important events right. for your summary from from all of these pictures in the book. Right. You know, or normally I would only give them like three quarters of the book to sort through, or um, you know, pick the um, put the put the pictures in sequence, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then also too, you can use it with certain topics. Like um, I was listening to a podcast that you, um, that you gave about vocabulary, oh, yes. you know, and it's a very easy way to incorporate um, an understanding of these big concepts that are so um, so abstract. So like, for example, I've done it, we had like a whole banking uh, unit oh, last cool. year. And so we used this book called The Girl on the Bike to identify the differences or find the pictures, sort the pictures into when is she saving, when is she earning, oh, okay. and when is she buying, right. oh, you know? Cool. So, and, and they kids just love, being able to sort things into yeah, groups and explain yes, them exactly and and like i said this is so easy to do online too so or we just did an ex exploration unit and we used field trip to the ocean deep uh, okay. and um kids had to look at sort the pictures between when is he discovering and when is he exploring oh cool okay when you, you, know? when you use online do you scan the pictures how do you give it to the kids well, so I, I do scan, I do scan the pictures. Sometimes also um, I can share, so I have the Kindle app. Oh, so okay. I'll share the Kindle version online yeah, with, um, with the students. Yeah. Or what's really, really easy is on VoiceThread. Um, you can just upload the whole scan directly into VoiceThread oh, too. Cool. Um, if you're going to put anything onto Seesaw though, it can't be any larger than 20 pages. Okay. Yeah, just one of those strange technology things that one of my coworkers figured out. So it has to be 20 pages. So sometimes you have to cut off like the title page or whatever. Right, right, to make it fit. Okay, cool. So it seems like, um, Wordless picture books, I'm feeling that it's just another a form of a text right? mm -hmm. that students are accessing and students are using to, so students can use it, you can use it as a jumping off point into a unit, you could use it as a text during the unit, you could use it uh, to, to teach content or to teach concepts, you could teach it at the end of a unit for them to synthesize the understanding. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. There are so many different opportunities. And, and like I said, because of the rich stories and the rich illustrations, right. the kids are engaged in them, you know, regardless of their reading level or their proficiency level in, in English. And then we've also, so Renska and I as well, we have this, so because my school is small, as I mentioned before, um, we have this explicit time once a week called community time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what that means is that it's 50 minutes every Wednesday morning. Yes. 
where um, the whole school can be engaged in cross grade level community building activities. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so obviously it's been more difficult because of um, right now we have grade level bubbles. And so students are not allowed to interact with other grades, you know, because they want to be able to accurately and effectively pinpoint any possible um, contamination, right? COVID uh, first contact, people who are first contact right, right. Um, to people infected with COVID. So, you know, I do understand that, but so our, our goal last year was really to um, look at having a whole school um, reading of Bluebird, mm. looking at the looking at the theme of empathy, mm. because empathy is something that, you know, we really talk about a lot as a school. And so, the goal would be for students and we have these language teams. So across the grade levels, you know, we have students who identify with Korean as being their home language or students who identify with Russian being their home language. And so that they would talk about the book Bluebird and about the theme of empathy in a mixed grade level setting in their home language. Oh, that's cute and then potentially record them telling the story in their home language and creating, like I said, this a multilingual mm-hmm. resource, yes. a multilingual book that is, right. you know, a book in right. seven or eight different languages right. that, that we could have as a resource for everybody. I think it's great how the, uh, a wordless picture book is has no words, so therefore it's multilingual because kids are creating with their language. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm just trying to remember if there was anything else that I wanted to say about, about um, the use of wordless picture books. Um, but like I said, I think at the end of the day, any of these resources that you use, they should come about as a result of an authentic need in your community, you know? How have your students responded to it? Sorry? How have your students responded to them? It's it's, it's so wonderful to see, because like I said, I mean, we will even, so there are some books as well that are almost wordless, like drawn together. Oh, which yes. is about, have you read Drawn Together? Yes, I have. Minute yeah. A, yes. Yeah. So it's almost wordless, you know, but the, the illustrations as well are so beautiful. Um, yes. It's so beautiful. Yes. And if you're talking, even if it's in, in, as a whole class or in a small group, everyone is has something to say about it, you know, and at the same time, there is no right answer too, right. to some degree. Right you can interpret their expression or their mannerisms or their intent in, in different ways, you know? I'm excited. I'm really excited to, to uh, use wordless picture books. I think I'm just going to go, I I saw one that uh, flipped through it. Oh, like the stranger, I think it's called the stranger, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty famous one. And I remember reading it and I remember kids looking at them. I was like, oh, interesting concept. 
no words. Hmm, interesting. So now I, when you, you when you uh, texted me and said, hey, I want to share this. I was like, yes, because I want to learn about it because I know what it, there are potentials there, lots of potential to uh, to use it in schools and classes. Yeah. And so what I would recommend, though, too, besides giving students time to explore the book, but I always look at a wordless picture book with a colleague as well before I use it in class, mm, yes. because, like I said, just having that conversation with someone else um, and seeing somebody else's viewpoint, you it, you always notice new things. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, there are books that I think I could use for the next five years. And I still think every time I use them, someone will have a new perspective or notice something that I haven't noticed before. It's because it's wordless, it gives so many pathways to interpretation. So that's great. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on to uh, the last few minutes. Let's move on to math. It's a multilingual math. Tell us about that. <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry. So I know that I can talk a lot. It's funny. My three kids, they said, they, they always say, mom, you're just talking too much. Can't we go? And I'm like, listen, kids, you know that I'd like to talk. <laughs> so Is that a problem? I always have, I always have something to say, but I, I do feel bad for my children on the street when we meet people, because normally, you know, uh, two minute conversation turns into a 20 minute conversation. So, um, and and I just feel so um, enthusiastic about sharing these particular ideas for um, English language learners, yes. you know, because I think it's something we all need to work on. We all need to work on um, giving them access to this content and also providing them with resources right. that make them feel like their culture and their language is a part of the community. Yes. And, and it's really difficult to do that when you don't speak that particular home language. Right. So, um, so this math multilingual um, morning actually came about, it was one of the, so I mentioned this community time that we have at our school. Mm -hmm. And it really is, it's, it's really such a powerful time. There are so many different opportunities for the kids to engage in, like I said, meaningful, and it ha they have to be authentic learning right. engagements. And so, you know, basically what ended up happening was, like I said, when I came to teach um, in the elementary school, that really gave me the opportunity to notice across the grade levels, what were the different needs? Mm, yeah. Okay. What were those subjects that students, English language learners might be struggling with? Right. So we have a wonderful math coordinator. His name is Gareth Rose oh. and he, actually used to be a PYP teacher as well. Now he's the math coach and the middle school, oh, okay. um, the middle school math teacher. And so he helps coach the elementary school teachers on inquiry driven math. And all of them were using this model of number talks. Yes. Is that something that you guys use? Yeah. Yes. yes. It is so language driven, right? Yes, it is. 
And I, I definitely see it's important for students to um, look at different ways of solving problems and for students to have conversations about them, but it's very difficult to support as an English language teacher. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Additionally, I'm sure you've had the experience where you've had a teacher say, Tan, can you work on solving word problems in math with these <laughs> um, emerging bilinguals? And you're yes. just like, well, uh, sure, if that's what you want, I, I let me, I'll figure something out. And so <laughs> this really, to me, is kind of the solution to that problem. So we had the opportunity. So first we identified the need, right? The need is these students need to engage in these number talks, very language driven, whole class. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then they, they want to be able, the end game would be for them to be able to share their thought processes, right? For right. them to share how they would solve these problems. Right. Um, so that was the first thing. And then I identified Gareth Rose as the person that I wanted to collaborate on with this since he had the overview. Right. He has the overview, he has the expertise, and he has a different lens than I do. He has that math instruction lens, whereas I had the English um, language, Engl English language learners lens. Yeah. So what we did is we last, so this started last year, we put the students into language teams mm -hmm. across grade two to eight. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he modeled with the middle school, he modeled how to teach these number talks to the middle school or to the middle school students. Yeah. So they were becoming the teachers. Yeah. Uh, okay. 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 So we made sure that each language team had a middle school student. Yeah or two, and they facilitated the number talk in their home language. Oh, that's cute. So this became, you know, I mean, translanguaging. I mean, they were using the, these number talk strategies in their home language with the end, you know, the end result being that they could then use those strategies in their homeroom right. in English to share their thoughts. Right with with the class for teachers who are not familiar with number talks they are basically there's a problem uh on the board or an easel and then everyone is around that board and then what's happening is that students are uh, sharing different ways that they are answering that question and then that uh, the teacher or whoever is scribing scribes all the different ways and they try to find the different patterns of like oh how did you get to eight Oh, there are different ways you can get to aid. Oh, yes. So, and it's very language rich. It's to show students that there are multiple ways to do math and not just a formula of, of doing solving problems. And it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we had looked as well at using VoiceThread and then there's the app Explain It. Is yeah. that what it's called? Uh, explain yeah. Everything. Explain Everything. <laughs> and um, so to use that app, in order to have students explain their thinking in their home language first, but there is just such a rich opportunity, learning opportunity from having a conversation. Yes. You know, it's not just a one-sided um, recording of a child's 
thought processes, but it's a conversation in their home language using these strategies that are spiraling and happening throughout the entire the entire school. So a student who does this in third grade will be able to do it in fourth grade right. and fifth grade and, and so on. So um, yeah, so that was kind of where we started. And um, you know, to speak to the power of collaboration again, um, Gareth said, you know what? We need to change the power structure here. Mm. We can't just have these math mornings be um, middle school driven. Right. You know, we need to try to um, even the playing field and put the elementary school and the middle school students kind of on the same on the same level. Yes. So yes. Af after we did that, we did we moved into just problem solving. Mm. Yeah. So where we had students, um, you know, for example, we would just give them a challenge, and they needed to talk about it and and figure out um, how to approach the problem with discussions in their home language. Yeah. So we, um, for example, we just did like a car like card building. Okay structures, you know, where we gave them cards and we said, okay, figure out how you can build the structure with the least number of cards, the most number of cards, the highest structure, the shortest structure, or, like um, cards, the shortest structure. Yeah. yeah. And it has to be, and it was fun. And, you know, they were using math vocabulary in their, in their home language. And then they had to basically take a video as proof that their structure stood for 15 seconds. Oh, that's really cool. So how, what are you noticing when kids are engaging in these multilingual uh, math experiences? The, the level of engagement, right. you know, um, you have, unfortunately, you know, when you have a student who is, is new to English, oftentimes they are hesitant to share their ideas in class, right. Right. you know, and you have, they have such beautiful, big personalities, but they still feel hindered in, in sharing those with right. the class. And so it's just an absolutely empowering opportunity for them to communicate their ideas in their home language right. Right. and to feel more like leaders right. in, uh, in those learning engagements. Um, and, and then also, like I said, just to really, that's when you start to see their personalities come yes, out too. Yes. It like highlights their, the assets that they bring. We always talk about asset-based mindset. And when we say, okay, use your language to understand and process and communicate this word problem or this problem, you can use your home language. And the kids, uh, I'm sure they, sh they shine and they get excited because they get to be competent. And they know they're competent, but they're, if they were to do this in English only, it would be really hard for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, to that's totally, um, it, it is, it's all about empowering them to, to right. really show, right. um, show who they are, what they know, right. and just be a part of the school community. Um, so then the last of the last... <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing that we've, we've attempted to do, but because of the lockdown in Germany, schools shut down in March of last year. Yes. So, um, and then we only came back to school for like the last two weeks of school. 
So what we ended up doing is we um, wanted the students to create some type of multilingual dictionary for the number talks with visible models. Mm, okay. Yeah. So we put them once again in these home language teams. And the idea is, is that, so they, they started, but we unfortunately haven't been able to finish is that we can have for these specific number talk vocabulary that we will have a multilingual dictionary that's available on all of the iPads, oh, you know, because cute. at the end of the, at the end of the day, what's the point of doing this if it's not accessible. Right. Right. So on all of the iPads, so the kids can just click on that and they can go and they can see the word um, in English, their home language and with a visible model and possible definition. And then, um, you know, it's also about making this accessible to teachers. So we would create word clouds, mm. PDF word clouds. So if the words number line, you know, with, because at many international schools, you have eight to 10 different home languages yes. in one class, right? Yes. And so um, just creating word cloud PDFs with this key vocabulary that so that teachers aren't having to recreate this every, every year, right. Right? right? So they can go, there's a place on Google Drive, they can open the PDF, right? Pull it up. And they're like, okay, this is what we're doing. These are the, these are the math vocabulary we're focusing on for the next month print it out, put it up, you know, I'm, everyone benefits, right? I mean, the right. students have their language represented in the classroom. They can make connections between multiple languages right. and, um, and, and teachers are able to provide that without having to reinvent the wheel every year. During the year multilingual math experiences, Mano talks, what do teachers, what are teachers doing? Well, okay, so that's, that's an interesting question. So last year, um, it was, you know, we had home language teams kind of spread out throughout the school. And we had teachers floating around, um, listening in, mm -hmm. you know, um, not all of us understanding the conversations that were going on, you know, but we could tell they were engaged. Yes. Um, and, and so yeah, I mean, we really want it to be student driven. Yep. You know, we want this, the students to take this forward. So it wasn't actually something that was being facilitated by a teacher. The right. teachers were kind of just there just helping if there were, you know, there, there were any issues. Right. So the thing is, is obviously because of, like I said, our inability to cross bubbles this year, we have to stay within grade level bubbles we have asked for a more specific uh, teacher involvement. Um, I'll just really quickly speak to what, so we thought that it would be great this year to have the students put themselves in language teams. Yeah, so that they would self sort. We had an activity that they needed to do where they drew a house and inside that house, all the languages that they heard or, oh, or spoke or saw on TV or read, right. they could do, you know, a flag if they couldn't write the, the name of the language. And right. so the idea was that they would self sort, but that was honestly 10 times more work because we had them self sorting in these bubbles. And then I had to try to compile all the <laughs> self sorting from the different 
bubbles and, you know, hopefully next year when we can come back to school without all of these restrictions, hopefully we can move forward with the self-sorting because I think it's so important to have students actually have a say in, in what groupings they they want to be a part of or what they really truly identify with because oftentimes as teachers we're not a hundred percent sure until we really get to know them right exactly you know mm. so that required more teacher involvement and then what we tried to do is we tried to do a whole school zoom oh okay interesting so we had to have teachers make their zoom available so that home language teams could zoom in okay for a particular um we were listening to a podcast i know that you're a fan of podcasts you like to listen to podcasts and you like to create them um (laughs) i am more of a listener of podcasts um so we did ask all the teachers to actually make their zoom available um so that these home language teams could zoom in um but I'm not sure if we would use that um, model again, just because um, we had issues with people being kicked out of Zoom and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it's all a learning experience. It is, so. we're just trying. I think what, as we're wrapping up the podcast, I think the thing that I'm trying to put uh, together, like, so you, we started off with wordless books and now we're ending with multilingual math uh, l- number talks or multilingual math experiences. The, the red thread that um, is sewn throughout these two concepts or these experiences is that students are able to access learning in a way that is equitable for them and that empowers them and then it, it, it removes the barriers to engagement, right? And it's constructivist, it's students in creating um, and it just makes it makes learning more possible for all of them. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that synthesis. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, oftentimes we think so much about how we're inputting information into students, Mm -hmm. you know, how are we going to communicate this to them, you know, but what's even more important than that is how are we going to get the students to output their learning? How are they going to share what they've learned, how are they going to be a part of that discussion? And I think both of these um, learning activities really help them empower them to do that. And I also would say too, that, you know, when you mentioned synthesizing or finding the common thread, it's also too a matter of when you don't have the appropriate resource, right? right? Right. Create your own to some degree, right? You know, I mean, we have, we're we're, um, incorporating so many different cultures and languages into our school. And so of course it's gonna be difficult to find something that works for everybody, you know? So then be creative and find these creative solutions that enable us to incorporate everyone at, at once and feel like they're a part of the community. I was going to say something and I forgot because there were lots of ideas that you were saying. Oh, I wanted to say um, with the wordless picture books, I think it also gives kids uh, 
a chance to be empathetic to kids who are learning language for the first time, learning English, right? So they get to say, oh, this is what they experience. Right? To not be able to understand the English um, and text, this is, so this is what it feels like for them. And so there's a chance to be empathetic with their classmates. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. That's an excellent point. Because at the end of the day, too, we want to have a welcoming community and we want to support each other, right? But at the same time, you don't want students who are constantly, you know, who are speaking slower to an English language learner, you know, who are constantly taking Google Translate over to them or saying, oh, well, you know, he doesn't understand. You know, we want to find those systems that we can put in place where, yeah, where everyone is, is supported right. and um, yeah, where other people can develop compassion and, and understanding for one another. Right. I think it's a great, I think both experiences, activities provide uh, opportunities for students to learn, but also to engage in the community. It's really great. Well, Meg, let's end the podcast with uh, the traffic light teaching. So red light is something that you ask teachers to stop doing. Yellow light is something you ask teachers to do that will help them slow down their practice. And a green light is um, something that you ask teachers to do to uh, keep doing. Um, so yeah, I, I, as an avid listener of your podcast, I knew this question was coming, but unfortunately I actually did not even prepare for it. But I would say, I'm just going to go with gut instinct here. And yes. so my initial reaction with green light is create those universal design lessons, yes. allow students to have agency in what they're doing, what how far they're taking things and, um, and creating these lessons that work for everybody. It, like I said, it does not have to be something that's really difficult. You use a wordless book, you have 10 different um, potential learning activities built into that. Right, right. And that's what's so beautiful about it. Um, and so the red, the red light would be stop not considering language objectives mm. in what you're teaching. Right. Yes, I know you're teaching science. I know you're teaching math, but there are language objectives, there, there right? Are. There are. And don't wait for an ELA teacher to come and bonk you in the head and say, hey, what are the language objectives? Right. All students need to know what yeah, uh, all st uh, they need to have those clear learning objectives written somewhere. Right. Yeah, so that they know what specifically they're working on, and um, yeah, it's it's just good practice for everyone. Right, they need to and know then, what they do you with know, language. Yeah, exactly. And then, so so the yellow though, can you can you repeat that again? That's something that we should just be cautious about. It's how can we slow down our practice? Because sometimes we go really fast. Yeah, so how okay. Can we slow down? Okay. And you know, so this analogy, I'm really a horrible driver. I get a lot of speeding tickets and whatnot. So, um, so, but I, so, so yellow it, means go, right? <laughs> I still remember I learned how to drive and my sister said, Megan, you cannot make a left turn on red. Yes, I did try to do that, but yes, okay. Oh. So to go back to your question, I would say yes, that technology offers lots of opportunities. Yes. Yeah, especially for English language learners. Right. 
Um, however, we should pr um, proceed cautiously. You know, now at our school, we have a one-to-one -one, uh, program where mm -hmm. every student has a device, which is absolutely a wonderful opportunity and very generous of our school. But at the same time, now we have these one-on-one -on -one devices in the classroom right. all the time. Right. And, uh, you know, I just think, how can we really incorporate them in meaningful ways? Exactly. When are they really necessary? And how can we use them? Um, how can we stop them from being a distraction? You know, I'm a mom of three. I have to hide my son's phone all the time because mm -hmm. if he sees it, he's thinking about it. It's over. And so, yeah, I, I just would like to proceed carefully and, and explore how those devices are being used in, in the classroom. Right. It's all about intention. Exactly, exactly. Right. Well, Meg, can you, Megan, can you share with us your email address or how can we get in contact with you? Because I know a lot of teachers are like, oh, where does books, okay, I, I believe in them, I need a list. Oh yes, and please, I'm happy not just to share the list, but I'm happy to hear from you about your successes oh, yes. um, and not just with wordless books, but also just multilingual um, or multicultural programs that you are implementing in your school or in your classroom. Um, so it's Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Dreyer, D-R-E-H-E-R, at fis.edu so okay. the frankfurt international school fis.edu great you're about to get a lot of emails <laughs> i'm looking forward to it like i said i mean i i am so blessed to have found this profession because yes. it inspires me every day yes. and i absolutely love to learn from other educators and uh i don't expect to ever be a perfect teacher uh because they don't exist they don't exist. They and don't exist. I just look forward to learning the next 20 years as I'm continuing down this path of uh, as an educator. Well, thank you for taking your time to help us be on a path to becoming better educators. I invite you to rate this podcast and leave a comment. Each episode takes three to four hours to record and edit. So your comments make all the hours worth it. And your reviews will help educators like you Find the podcast. Now, on to our recap. I love this line. Wordless picture books are not monolingual books. They are not bilingual books. They are truly multilingual books. Megan said that wordless picture books can help us do so much. They are invitations for students to explore a topic at the onset of a unit. They can provide a chance for students to better conceptualize an idea mid-unit, and they can conclude the end of a unit to help students see the connections between ideas. Megan recommended that when we introduce a wordless picture book, we have to hold back on providing the typical scaffolds such as sentence starters and allow our students to explore the book with their own languages. Megan and her colleague, Renske, have been gracious enough to write an article for this podcast. You will find it in the link below. In the next episode, we'll have Dr. Andrew Hogensfeld join us to share about her best-selling book called Growing Language and Literacy. Thank you for listening. 
I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play traffic light teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.